Uh, this document. The Treaty of Versailles. This pop music star. Chubby Checker. This strain of. Streptococcus. In the 17th. Third law of thermodynamics. The Book of Genesis. Mount Ararat. In what nation? Zaire. Arugula. Henry David Thoreau. Steve Garvey. Reptar on ice. The Velvet Underground. Rosemary Clooney. Uvula. The Edomites. Gut Buckets, this is Big Orange Couch, the 90s Nickelodeon podcast where we talk about all things 90s Nickelodeon. My name's Joey. And I'm Andrew. And this is episode number 181. We're talking to Melanie Chartoff, or you may know her better as the voice of Dee Dee Pickles. Yeah. Or Minka. Yes, Minka. <laughs> Great character. Yeah. Um, yeah, such a such an iconic voice. Uh, I think for any 90s child, Dee Dee is... Um, yeah. Kind of a one-of-a-kind voice. Yeah, definitely. Uh, interesting character. I mean, as with all the Rugrats characters, uh, just really interesting and unique. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, and she she has a pretty incredible kind of like life career from from theater to stand up um you know if anybody remembers the show Fridays from the 80s it was kind of like um the alternate take on Saturday Night Live um she was an anchor on that she you know she made appearances in Mr. Belvedere um The Love Boat uh what else uh New Heart Super Mario Brothers Super Show yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Parker oh. Lewis can't lose yeah. is probably maybe her other really big one. Yeah. Also, you know what? I wanted to mention um, Weird Science, the TV show. Ah, she was on yeah. that. Um, yeah. Just feel and like I, that's like a particularly good show based off of a movie. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I watched that all the time when I was in the nineties. Um, and of course, she's in two iconic episodes of Seinfeld. Uh, she's in the fire as a Robin. Uh, George's girlfriend when, you know, George uh, tosses people out of the way when there is a fire. And then she also gets to show up in the finale, which is pretty cool. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Um, she has a new book out called uh, Odd Woman Out, Exposure in Essays and Stories. Um, and this book will be out February 2nd, 2021. Um, and uh, it's getting some really great praise. Uh, for example, John Goodman says it's a very insightful chronicle of a very funny woman maturing in an odd profession in which we're all very odd. Uh, and uh, Ed, Ed Begley Jr., uh, an actor I love, he says, I've known the talented Melanie Chartoff since 1980 and was well aware of her huge talent as an actress, but had no idea she was an equally brilliant author as well. This is an extremely touching and funny memoir that is a must read. Yeah, so pretty, pretty high cool. praise. Yeah, definitely. So we'll we'll be talking to her both about uh, 
you know, all things Rugrats, but we'll, we'll talk about the other aspects of her career. She made appearances on, uh, on, uh, Johnny Carson. And, uh, so we'll, we'll try to just kind of pick her brain about what it was like to, uh, work on the Rugrats and we'll talk to her about her new book. I think, uh, it'll be a bunch of fun. Yeah. All right. Should, should we give, uh, should we give Melanie a call? Let's do it. Well, hello, Melanie. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah um, I think uh, our listeners best know you as the voice of Dee Dee Pickles. Um, yes. Very exciting to have you. Um, you. So um, you wanted you have a new book coming out. Just want to mention it uh, up front. Um, Odd Woman Out, Exposure in Essays and Stories. Yes, that's right. I tell the, the, the underside of the cartoon world. No, I'm kidding. There's no <laughs> underside. There's really no underside of the cartoon world. Wow. It's nothing but a pleasure. All the cartoon series that I've done. Um, yes, and uh, in the audible version of that book, I am using what sounds like Dee Dee Pickles' voice, but it's actually my mom upon whom I base the character of Dee Dee Pickles. So you'll hear a Dee Dee Pickles-like voice, but it actually belongs to me impersonating my own mother. Wow, that's really interesting. Cool. Yeah. And that'll, that's the uh, Audible version? The Audible version, yeah. These won't launch until February 2nd, Groundhog Day, but they'll be available for pre-sale at the holidays on Amazon for the Kindle, the paperback, and the Audible book. Wow, awesome. Very cool. Um, so just to... Uh, I guess catch up up on your early career. Um, from what I understand, you started up started out doing stand up and theater. Well, actually, I did start out doing theater. Uh, uh, Long Wharf Theater in New Haven, Connecticut, was my first stage, and it was a wonderful stage to be part of. I was in the children's company, but soaked up everything I saw in the adults' company. Uh. And thereafter, I went to a college on uh, Long Island, which luckily for me had a train that went right to New York City. So I could audition for summer stock and soap operas when I was still in college. So I got started early when I was like 16, 17, 18 years old. Wow. Um, did you always want to be a performer as you were growing up? Or? I, I, I wasn't sure quite what I wanted to be, but it was something noisy. And... Um, <laughs> I knew I wanted to be a writer and an actor. I wrote my own plays in the fourth grade that were put on in uh, my school system. And I just was full of that thing, you know, that creative impulse. And it's still hard to suppress. Yeah. Um, So I guess um, one of the other roles that probably a lot of our listeners know you from is uh, Fridays. Oh, well, I wouldn't think they were that. They were. It's a it's a little bit before ahead of our time, but um, we're kind of a nerdy crowd, I think, that tends to stray outside of our own um, generation when it comes oh, to these you, shows. You're adventurers. You're adventurers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Fridays was my first big television break, and I got to do a show with Larry David and Bruce Mahler, who I had known from doing stand-up in New York City. Uh-huh. And we got brought out here... Um, and I, of course, Michael Richards was in the cast. It was a very talented group of people, all very iconoclastic. We all had our own voices and our own styles. Certainly Larry uh, grew to have his own very refined <laughs> yeah. 
anthropomorphic character uh, point of view. But we um, were very alarmed when we heard we were just to emulate the a, the uh, NBC Saturday Night Live cast. Uh-huh. We didn't want to imitate them, but our our setup was very much like it, where I was a newscaster, like my old castmate Jane Curtin, with whom I had done an off Broadway show a few years before. And we were supposed to just imitate everything they did. And that was, you know, come up with characters, very analogous characters. And um, so we were very resistant. So our first sketch on our very first premiere of the Friday's show, we were all dressed as other characters. I was uh, dressed as Gilda Radner doing that little nerd character. And some people were dressed like the bumblebees, the yellow jacket bumblebees and so we just really accepted the kind of criticism that we would get and played into it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if people are interested, I, I was, I was kind of uh, perusing last night on YouTube. Your, your Nancy Reagan is uh, pretty terrific. Oh, thank you. Well, it was all because of the wig maker. I tell you, they put that <laughs> wig on you guys and you would be Nancy Reagan. <laughs> Um, so, so what is, cause going from theater to live television and then eventually to, um, voice work, well, what is that like kind of transition? Like, were you excited for that? Was that something you thought you would do? Yes. Cause I wanted to do everything under the sun that had to do with acting, especially in really good stories with really talented people. Mm-hmm. So for me, this first cartoon role was just like another step in the in the celebration of, of performing arts. And uh, it was not a difficult transition at all because I was just playing my mother, basically. My mother was like Dee Dee, very anxious, nervous, and proper, trying to always do the right thing. And a little bit absent-minded like Dee Dee. You know, Dee Dee was always losing the kids. That was the main premise of the show. If she had known where her kids were all the time, there would have been no stories. Yeah. yeah. So did you then did you have... Uh, input then as far as kind of how the character would be made up? Uh, no, I was asked to also audition for Minka, the role of Dee Dee's mother, the grandmother to the Rugrats. Um, and I was auditioning on the phone for the folks at Nickelodeon. So I didn't remember my grandparents that well. They had passed when I was very young. So I told them I was creating an amalgamation of all the Jewish women of that age and era that I knew, you know, the slightly plump with the gray bun and the kind of chubby legs with the uh, elastic stockings. And um, I created this kind of generic Russian immigrant grandmother and with a kind of a Yiddish accent. But as the years went by, all the people who had had Yiddish grandmothers wanted to put in their input. So the character morphed a little bit. She got a little more like Dee Dee's and she got a little less like Dee Dee. They wanted her more Jewish than less Jewish. So the only input I had was saying, I hope I can please you with this combination of factors that you've given me, plus my own absorption, to come up with a character that resembles the sentimental favorite of an old Jewish grandma. Wow. Well, I love the character. Both yeah, it's a great but, character. Uh, yeah. And what was interesting was, you know, every season, these characters would change a little bit. They would start to look more like us, us fa- of, uh, of the voice actors, because the animators right. would watch our mouths and see how our muscles moved and send those, you know, pictures along to the store, the, the, send the storyboard along to the Korean animators, none of whom spoke English or knew <laughs> Yiddish. Yeah. 
And they had to form, you know, the mouth movements and all of that, according to the musculature of the, the actors at first. But every year, like Dee Dee's forehead got larger, kind of like it began to look like mine. And some of the other characters felt that same way, too. The animation kind of morphed over the years. Yeah, that's cool. And how do, how do you even, like, how do you end up with Rugrats? So what was the process of ending up at Nickelodeon? I had an audition. And fortunately, the audition was with uh, the callback, meaning that they brought me back for a second try, mm. was with Jack Riley, who I knew from the, the improv club mm. and, and different places where I'd done stand-up. And also because we had worked on the Newhart show together at one point. And uh, he and I had to do an improvisation with the man that played Grandpa, whose name I have forgotten, David Denley, something like that. And we had to do an improvisation where Dee Dee finally loses control. So for me, that was just a gas, you know, because I'd be speaking very repressed and being very controlled and then just suddenly lose it. And so I think that's how I got the job because I was really good at losing in my temper that way. <laughs> that's really cool. It was. And then the funny thing was that, you know, animation takes quite a while to achieve. And of course, with the storyboards being sent to, to Korea and being sent to the network for all kinds of input and criticism, we didn't actually get to see what we had done, none of us having done animation mm -hmm. before, until it, about a year later, uh, Klasky Shupo, who had been the on, hands-on producers of the show, invited us to a screening of it at their building. And here we saw ourselves incarnated in these bizarre characters, you know, me with this pink dress and this pink hair that stuck out in three places, kind of like an ice cream sundae. And we were just so thrilled to see our voices coming out of these creatures. It was a complete gas. Um, did you have like, I guess you must have had some idea of just how popular this uh, show kind of was for a while there. Um, like for kids, it was just, um, you know, part of our makeup kind of, um, do you have any memories about just like the Nickelodeon heyday working during that time? I sure do. But, you know, as you know, I, I we didn't know for about a year and then maybe a year later how successful the show yeah. would be, um, because there's such a delay on, um, the animation yeah. and the thing getting on the air. These things are planned months and months and months in advance. And the show, so our first season, we felt like we were in a relatively silent cubicle. And the second season, too. But I think after we stopped recording, in rerun, the show became a big hit. And then it suddenly leaked into our consciousness that we were part of something pretty stupendous, you know, that was becoming an iconic show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unlike The Simpsons which was incredible and was done by the first, the same animators at the very beginning of the pilot, their show. Um, we were like a all purpose kid and adult show because we didn't really have a, only a kid's demographic. We had a hipness demographic. Yeah. So we appealed to people of all ages. In fact, my fans today are the people who are the parents of the kids <laughs> who watch Red Rats, you know, so they're people my age um, who still remember with fondness, how comforting it was to listen to uh, all of the characters on Rugrats interacting with each other. 
Yeah. All the voice work on the show is, is so well done. And, um, what, what was it like, you know, you know, I I think listeners of our show would kind of like the nerd out process of like, what was a recording session? Like, you know, did you do one episode? Did you do a bunch at a time? What, what was it like to go in and do that? We generally did one at a time and the actors, the mature actors who played the adults would work separately from the kids, which was disappointing. We never really got to play with them because we couldn't understand what they were saying in real life. The only character who was sort of the go-between was Angelica, who I got mm. to work with and got to be friends with. We're still mm. in touch now, Cheryl Chase. And um, she was in the adults recording and the kids recording sessions. But it was basically me and Jack and Michael Bell, who played my husband, um, uh, Boris, when I was Minka. And Michael Bell also played um, Stu, uh, no, not Stu, Drew, Stu's brother. And uh, Michael Bell also was the parent of Angelica. So we had so much fun. We're all kind of improvisers and cut-ups, and we would just have a great time in there until they said record, and then we would straighten up and record. And because they drew off of our faces and voices, we never had to look at any storyboards or, um, you know, submit ourselves to the, the desires of the animators. We spoke, and then they would animate to our personalities. As opposed to other shows I've done, like on Cartoon Network, where the show is pretty much all drawn, and when you come into the booth, you have to fit yourself into the mood and facial expression of the drawings, <laughs> according to a timing that is run off like on a click track. So that I found to be much more technical, although fun as well, than Rugrats, which was just a kind of a creative, spontaneous joy. It was so, uh, less. Te- we were less technically hamstrung, if you understand what I'm talking about. I mean, would it would ever would it ever go to the lengths of like allowing you to improvise? Well, only when we did the walla. Do you know what the walla is? I, I don't. Um, walla is the additional dialogue recorded um, after the, the the show main lines are, are settled. Mm. And it's generally when people are having a kind of a hullabaloo or a, a hustle as they go off stage. No, what are you talking about? Now, come on. I didn't know that. Or, or when we were in the crowds, you know, sometimes when we were in the crowds with other, you know, parents, animated parents, we'd have to make up a lot of dialogue to fill in some, you know, musical little flourish that Mark Mothersbaugh had written. Yeah. So that yeah. was the improvisation. I know on the movie, I remember improvising. Uh, when we were running, we were running for some reason. I can't quite remember what it was in the first uh, Rugrats movie, but there was a lot of hustle going on. So we all got better at, re-ri- at rewriting and pre-writing our uh, our Walla, so we knew we could really say something completely in character, in the voice, <laughs> and, and appropriate to the moment in the movie. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. I've always wondered about that. Um... You know, you can hear those like full conversations almost going in the background, but yeah, I wasn't sure know. if those were written. Yeah, you know, they usually were made up by us and they were really <laughs> fun to do. And, but of course, there was a great deal of improvisation in terms of our behavior. Um, you know, we may talk about doing the script as written, but the way we say the lines in the script is always a behavioral improvisation on the part of the actors. So I think improvisation um, is a very important element of an actor's training uh, because things may change on the day and they may rewrite at the last minute. So you have to be loose, never locked into any line readings. Whenever I got to do three or four takes when Jack or Michael wasn't able to be in a dialogue with me, 
I would imagine them doing the lines, the imagined Stu and the imagined Drew or, or Boris, and respond like seven different ways to each of them. So the, the same words were never hit. So that way the animators and the directors always had a choice of, of takes that they could use that the animators would like. Some were more lively or silly than others. And, um, you know, that was part of the skill that I developed over those years. And, you know, the show was, has been on for 30 years, evidenced by the little teeny checks I still get. <laughs> so I guess something we did was, was done right. Yeah, it definitely comes through in the voice yeah. work. Yeah. Very did you? Yes, it was a guess because we didn't have to wear like fancy clothes or, <laughs> yeah. or you know, undergarments or uh, <laughs> heels or you know anything like that. We could be really loose and wear our you know jogging clothes, kind of like we live today. Yeah, I, I I'm always interested in like you know I feel like if I was an actor I would I would have to check it out. Did you did you watch uh, Rugrats at all? Like, would you ever check in on it? I would from time to time. Um, especially when I was at a holiday with, you know, relatives, kids who love to watch it with me in the room. Oh yeah. And they'd say, Oh, do you remember doing that? Do you remember doing that? Doing that? Do you remember doing that? <laughs> and some of it I did, but a lot of it I just didn't because I was fortunate enough to be in so many different scenes and so many different episodes over so many uh-huh. years. I didn't always remember, but it was fun to watch it with kids because they were so thrilled by it you know they were so thrilled and sometimes we actors we're on a set we're doing the same thing we've been doing for a couple of years we forget how absolutely exciting it is for the audience that isn't familiar with it yeah for sure Um, what what would you say like just your overall impression of working at Nickelodeon in the 90s was like well I wasn't at Nickelodeon we went there for parties we were at Klasky Shupo's recording studio Uh, which was on La Brea Oh, okay. Um, Hollywood. Um, and it has still has uh, paintings of us as Dee Dee and Stu <laughs> on the wall of that building. It's kind of thrilling to go by it. But we rarely had um, interactions with Nickelodeon until there were parties and stuff. And then we would party, party, party with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but the executives weren't in the, uh, in the studios very much. We were quite a distance. I think the studios were, well, there's one on, on Sunset, uh, certainly for live action stuff. I think they're still there. And then the Nickelodeon big offices were developed in Burbank, which is quite a ways from Hollywood for, for me anyway. So, um, but it was a very optimistic time when we were, Nickelodeon was becoming a whole new entity, one of the most successful and the first cable cable networks um, in history. Yeah. And I was yeah. thrilled to be thrilled to be on it. I was also on Fox, which was trying to be the fourth network the first fourth attempt at having a network <laughs> in history. And here I was at the birth of a cable station. So we felt like pioneers. You know, we really felt like um, we were stepping off into a whole new realm of, um, of creative and artistic triumph. It was really yeah. fun. So I'm guessing they were, they were, they were also like pretty open um, about you working on other projects, right? Like, so, um, you know, New Heart and Married with Children and uh, and uh, Parker Lewis Can't Lose. So like, um, were they pretty, they were pretty open to allowing the voice actors to just kind of do other things too? Yes, because we were only required at Rugrats maybe an hour tops. So Barbara White, mm-hmm. who was the casting lady, um, did arrange and so did my Parker Lewis people um, 
which was on Fox while I was on Nickelodeon. It was kind of fun. Um, they were very uh, lenient in letting me get out at a certain time and get back as fast as I could. So I was fortunate to be on two hit series at the same time. On one, I was playing a monstrous principal of a fantasy <laughs> high school who would look like she was would eat the children. I mean, she was an angry, angry woman. And then on the other, I was playing this sweet and gentle mommy. So for me, you know, we're such pigs actors. We like to do all of it. We like to do all of it. And, and I felt during that era that I was doing two, phase, two faces of a woman. Uh, two, one really dark and one really light. Yeah, so yeah. really great, great fun. And you Rugrats won't... ended up running a lot longer than Parker Lewis. So lucky me. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, I, we were a Nickelodeon uh, 90s podcast, but we like to talk about all things 90s. And one thing that Andrew and I really love uh, is Seinfeld. And of course, you're you have the rare uh, privilege, I would say privilege yeah, of yeah. being on two episodes. You know, usually people are kind of one and done. Um, yes. What, and of course, your episode that most people would probably know is the fire um, as George's yeah. girlfriend, um, Robin. What was yeah. it like to work on Seinfeld? Well, um, you know, it was like the week after the earthquake, the 94 mm. earthquake. Oh. So I was in the rubble of my chimney with a uh, federal emergency management district uh, manager deciding whether I would get some money from the government or not for my fallen chimney and broken driveway. And um, I got the call from Larry, uh, can you come to work on Sunday? And it was very unusual. They had just sort of created this role on the spur of the moment that they wanted to give ja uh, George a girlfriend. Um, and I read the script and I wasn't too excited about it because she wasn't one of the funny, quirky girlfriends. Yeah. She was a very straight girlfriend. <laughs> she was the first girl he dated that had a child. And so it, it wasn't delightful, but I so much wanted to be part of Larry's vision and part of the Seinfeld thing. And I knew Jerry from doing stand-up years before. So I jumped in and I think we did it in a day, maybe a day, maybe two wow. days at the most. And um, and then when they called me to tell me I was in the final Seinfeld, they were kind of <laughs> reprising some of the scenes from my original guest star position. Um, it was just thrilling, first of all, because I got to meet the soup Nazi. Yeah. And I got to meet the wonderful librarian and all the fantastic characters. We had just all hung out and exchanged, you know, information and anecdotes. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and all of us who were testifying against him never got a script. They oh, wow. showed us our lines before we went on camera and we had to get the, the mirth and giggles out of our, our systems and go on and do the line, you know, just straight. The lines um, I had were very accusatory of, ja of George's character. <laughs> and it was a scream. And we had nice trailers and we had nice salaries and we still get residuals for that too. Ka-ching. Wow. Wow. No. Between that and Rugrats, I've been keeping my mom you know, in really, uh, in champagne and caviar. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I finally told my mother that she was the, the icon that created the Dee, Dee Pickles character, um, I said, you know, I'm going to give you some of the money I make because you've earned it at, at, at you know, in living this role yeah. for so much longer than I'll get to play her. So I actually, my sister and I bought her a condo and I just oh. used all my residual money 
And that kind of kept her mouth shut, you know. She didn't have any thoughts to complain. Yeah, <laughs> and then when she saw how beloved the character became, of course, she was quick to claim, you know, the yeah. role for herself. So <laughs> it was great. It was great to steal from my mother and let her steal from me. It was a happy exchange. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another thing. Sorry, I'm just kind of jumping all over the map, but you know, I, I, I saw that you had several appearances on Johnny Carson. Oh which, yeah. Again, I know like that's, it's a little pre, you know, nineties and, but I think our generation of uh, kind of when we were born, you know, our, our generation knows who he is oh. um, and he's, you know, so iconic. What was it like to do that? Well, I have a whole chapter on me and Johnny in my book. Okay, you don't have to spoil too much. Oh, okay. Well, I do want you to read the book, but it's it's very funny. Um, my agents, it was like I was, uh, it was like my bar mitzvah. All my William Morris agents wanted to come to this set with me, and they all hung out in my dressing room, like pacing, like nervous daddies, because this was like the pinnacle of what they had attained for me. Uh, going on Johnny was like, it's the most famous show you could possibly be on it at that time. So um, by the time I actually was going onto the stage, I was so hyped up and nervous. Uh, and then when I actually, I had rehearsed my, they, they do a pre-question round at most talk shows. We talk about areas that you'll find interesting for Johnny to investigate. And I rehearsed all my questions and answers with some guy named Bob. And hmm. then when I came out on the stage and Johnny and Ed McMahon stood up to greet me, they looked like Mount Rushmore to me. They looked like giants. Hmm. First of all, I'm kind of petite, and they were both six foot or more. They looked gigantic. So I sat down in the chair, and I looked at Johnny. It was like, wow, there's his face, his so familiar <laughs> face. And I am sitting in the chair, the very chair that so many famous behinds have sat in. And um, I was, like, just very high and very nervous and, and kind of silly. And he was so sweet to me, and he actually asked me to come back again. I was astonished. And my agents were so hepped up about this. I almost didn't want to do it because it was so much tension. So I told them I'd have a friend drive me. I didn't want them anywhere around at all. It was just too much to deal with their nerves and my nerves. So the next time I was on, I think I did a, 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 a John, Johnny just loved to play Ronald Reagan. So they wrote a sketch for Ronald and, and Nancy Reagan attending the, uh, on Je being on Jeopardy with Richard yeah. Dawson. That's on YouTube if people want to check it out. It was the silliest, corniest, but it gave you know Johnny a chance to do his his uh, his Ronald Reagan shtick and me a chance to do my Nancy. Yeah. And uh, we had a really good time doing it. Richard Dawson did too. Um, so that was fun to actually get to act in some sort of, you know, if you want to call it acting, do a sketch with those guys. That was really a pleasure. And then I relaxed a little bit more than I had the first time I did the show. That's really cool. But it's on YouTube if you want to check it it's, out. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool. It was fun. Um, you know, speaking of the book, right, uh, we haven't gotten to read it yet, right? It comes out in February. Yeah, so I'll, I'll make sure you get a copy. Oh, cool. Um, I, we, I noticed some some of the pool quotes of, like about promoting the book were like John Goodman and uh, Ed Bagley Jr., who I absolutely adore. Yeah. Um, you know, so do you want to tell people a little bit about like kind of what the book is and uh, what to expect? Well, um, all these stories, remarkable things that had happened to me over my more than 50 years as a professional actor started coming to mind. And so I thought, 
well, maybe I'm writing a, you know, a stand-up act. I'm going to tell these stories in a stand-up act, or maybe I'm going to do them as a stage play. And so a lot of the, the chapters from the book were, were done in various uh, theaters around town as, as, as a stage play. And I thought, well, maybe it's a musical memoir. And so I started writing songs from the book and singing them at various th- places like the Joshua Tree Comedy Festival premiered mm-hmm. my show called One Odd Woman Out. And then a literary agent saw me performing uh, one of my chapters at Comedy Central. And she said, you're writing a book. You know, this is a book. I said, I don't know how to write a book. And she said, I'll help you. (laughs) And she did. And she was right. It became a very good book. And it's about 50 years of being a performer, trying to learn how to be a real person from the Mm -hmm. roles I played. You know, like every uh, part I ever did in any play or show became a kind of a part of me. That's what happens to us as actors. We kind of integrate every personality into ourselves. But I also wanted to get married, and it was very hard since I was such a complicated person, having so many different facets, to find a matchup until very recently in my life. Uh, I met somebody who was as odd as I was, and you know, together we are very even. We make a great complementary, even couple. So the book is about finally finding love after, you know, I thought there was no chance at all. And so I, I wrote it for a lot of single people that thinks it'll never that think it'll never happen because it sure looked like it every decade it looked to me like it would never happen. So it's got a kind of a happy ending. It ends during the COVID, um, but it's kind of an upbeat COVID poem that I've written to end the book. But each of the stories is very unique. Some of them are heartbreaking, a lot of them are hilarious, and they're all hope, hopeful. And in the Audible book, of course, I do my father, I do my mother, who's Dee Dee Pickles in real life, and um, a lot of un- other wonderful characters, too. In the Audible book, I actually sing Gilbert and Sullivan, like my mother used to do. And um, and I do a lot of imitations of like Henny Youngman and the various people that I worked with over the years. Rodney Dangerfield. I got oh, them all wow. in me, boys. I got them all in me. They're still inside <laughs> me. They may look dead, but I've got them. Um, yeah, I can't. I can't wait to check it out either. Wait, so you, I have to go back for a second again. My nerd side. I also uh, truly love comedy. So um, you met knew Rodney Dangerfield, or well, he owned a, a nightclub in in uh, New York when I was, uh, you know, starting out as as a, as a stand up and as an improvisationalist. And so he came to the clubs to check out talent. And in one chapter in my book, I'll just give this away because there's so much more in the book. He comes to a nightclub and I'm going on after Richard Lewis and I'm watching from the back. And while Richard is on, who is a buddy of mine back in the day, um, I see him straighten up and and start clapping every time Richard got a big laugh. And he'd go, terrific, terrific, good work, good work. You know, and so I said, when Richard came off, I said, Dangerfield loved you. I'm sure you're going to get booked at his club, Dangerfields. And so then it was my turn to go up. And I noticed out of the corner of my eye that whenever I I hit a joke well, uh, the audience would start clapping and he would straighten up and start clapping and go, terrific, just terrific. (laughs) So finally at the at the uh, that which egged me on because I thought, wow, if Rodney likes me, I'm I'm gold. I'm just yeah. mate. And so when I finally was taking my little bow at the end, I looked up and I saw that he was actually sleeping. And then as soon as people started clapping, he would straighten up and go, oh, <laughs> terrific. 
<laughs> I, oh, I, but he did stay to say hello to everyone after, although I don't think he knew who the heck I was. <laughs> Watch my act. But, wow. you know, yeah, that was Rodney. And then the, the story about Henny is rated R. I can't really tell it on the air. <laughs> yeah. Henny was uh, quite the ladies' man. That's all I can say about that. Yeah, people will have to check it out for themselves. Yes, they do. Um, there is a you, there is a new Rugrats project coming out, but you're not you're not part of that. No, I'm not part of it. Nor, of course, is the late Jack Riley or yeah. Michael Bell. We uh, it, the show is going to be very different. I, I'm I you know I I think I shouldn't disclose too much about it, but you'll be really surprised at how unique it is. There are several new characters. Okay. Um, young babies who are of different ethnicities and different genders. And okay. I think one of the main characters is lesbian. Okay. Huh. So um, it's going to be different and full of surprises. And I hope it flies. I mean, I wish this next group a good time. We had a great time and did very well with it. Yeah. And I can't wait to see it, actually. I'm going to definitely take a look. I think it premieres in January of 2020, 2021, huh. right? I, yeah, that's yeah, that's what I have, too. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard a great deal about it from the behind the scenes stuff? Uh, I, not really. No. I mean, I know it's been kind of in the works for a long time, but, um, you know, I think they're still kind of holding tight to a lot of the details. They are. It's going to be a big surprise. Wow. Yeah. We look very it. different, very different from all grown up and very different from Rugrats, but still as entertaining and funny. And uh, as we were only in a completely different way. Yeah. Well, yes. Melanie, thank thank you so much for for joining us. This was a a real thrill for us and really enlightening. Yeah. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to the two of you. Well, thank, thank you, guys. Um, that was great. Uh, that was Melanie Chartoff. Um, awesome to talk to. Yeah, her. Uh, yeah, so really, funny. really interesting. Yeah, uh, just just the fact that uh, Dee Dee is her mom is <laughs> pretty terrific. <laughs> yes, um, yeah, and that's I, so cool. And I am really legit excited to read this book. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Like she's been a part of this, uh, like comic, this uh, legendary comedy scene, kind of. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, I was thinking, like, do you is there a, is there a DD episode that you like kind of love? Um, you know, the first one that comes to mind for me for some reason is the. Um, is this episode is the episode where Tommy it's like an early episode where Tommy uh is sick in bed at night yeah maybe we've talked about this one um yeah definitely it says here in Lipschitz to put a radio under his or her pillow a radio is bigger than this pillow I don't know what the big fuss is all about he's just faking it or it says we could sing him or her a lullaby do we know any we could make one up you think it's your bedtime, champ. Uh, let's turn out the lamp. You'll feel better tomorrow. But this song you can borrow. <laughs> nice, Dee Dee. Thanks. If your cheeks are still red. And there's heat in your head. Then we'll call up the doctor. His name's Herman Schachter. Because <laughs> you're our little boy. You're our pride and joy. And we think you're the best. So good night. Get some rest. And uh, it's not like the parents aren't even in it that much, I guess. But something about both of them in that episode, like especially Dee Dee, um, as she like morphs into the moon. Um, just a really memorable one. Yeah, that is really cool. 
I think I like anything having to do with Dr. Lipschitz. I can't believe you talked me into this deed. You know I don't believe in shrinks. Dr. Lepetamine is not a shrink. He's a highly respected child psychologist. I've read all his books, and we're very lucky he was able to fit us into his schedule. But there's nothing wrong with Tommy. How can you say that, Stu? What Tommy did today proves that he doesn't have a proper artistic outlet for his social anxieties. Deed, he's a year old. You don't want him to be repressed, do you? Okay. I just want to say this whole thing really bugs me, and once we get in there, I don't care what happens. I'm not saying anything. Here we are. Ah, uh, yes. Oh man. <laughs> you know what? I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, I'm not. E- this isn't even a Dr. Lipschitz episode, but one episode that I love across the board, and it's it has a lot of funny uh, moments with Dee Dee and Stu, is um, the one where they're in like the doctor's office and Tommy gets to play with like a new toy or gets to try it out. Um, and Dee Dee and Stu are talking to a therapist um, as Stu breaks down. It's a, it's, it's just a very funny episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those are all great. And anytime where she's kind of losing uh, her mind is <laughs> yeah. pretty memorable. <laughs> of course talked about mother's day which uh is a very sentimental yeah. episode and they talk about um you know how tommy was uh prematurely born so there's like some you know some heavy stuff too yeah what is it oh mom i just wanted to do something we'd both like you know what i like this i like but um yeah so great to talk to her and i, I do hope uh you guys will check out her book um I'm excited to see it. Yeah, it sounds really good. Um, yeah, man, she's just such an interesting uh, lady. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, great talk with her. Uh, what are we up to next, Andrew? Um, next time we're going to talk... Oh, next time it's Thanksgiving. So we're going to talk <laughs> Doug's, sister at, Doug's Sister Act. Um, yeah, we, we had kind of decided we've exhausted the like Thanksgiving episodes we're interested in. Yeah. So we thought maybe do a dinner episode. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I you know I think that tracks. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and this is um, I believe it was my second favorite Doug ever. So, ah, uh, yes, I remembered you mentioning it. Um, uh, and I'm pretty excited for this one. I, uh, I have good memories of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that'll that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at BLC Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Orange Couch Podcast. You can email us at orangecouchpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Podbean, Spotify, and iTunes. Leave us a review. It's always really helpful. And uh, hope everybody's doing great out there and staying safe. Yeah. We'll see you guys next time.
Never did fill out, did you, Stu? Are you feeding him, Dolly? It's Dee Dee, actually. Looks like you're eating, all right. Oh, come on. Oh, <laughs> Sally. <laughs> it's Dee Dee. I hate to butt into your life, Jimmy, but when are you going to give up this kitchen nonsense and become a full-time mother? It's Dee Dee. Yes, sir. She sure is a great aunt, huh, Fifi? It's Dee 